Hello, my name is Bobby George, and I'm from the Bondec Montessori here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And today I am joined by Charlotte Wood. Hi. Hi, Charlotte. It's been, well, it's been what, a week or maybe two weeks since we've done one? It's been an unknown amount of time. Unknown amount of time. That is a really wonderful <laughs> word, which is going to take us into our topic today. Um, so one of my personal heroes is an architect and poet named Madeline Gins, and she wrote a beautiful, very enigmatic book called Helen Keller or Arakawa. I'd just like to start off by reading you some of chapter one, which is entitled Thinking Field. The afternoon has much to recommend it, including an all-inclusive atmosphere with evening and a geometry that's flexible enough. I was definitely born on July 6, 1936, or it may have been June 27, 1880, or was it actually November 7, 1941? Form rubs its antlers against trees of not much. If projective envelopings did not move persuasively, there would be no world. Sky of an eye. Helen Keller, the main constant not to be forgotten, is that two of my senses are per perpetually down. For seeing and hearing, I, in any eye of this variety, draw a blank every single time. Well, that's how it is, and it couldn't have been otherwise, save for a change in conditions, so total as to have permitted me never to have been Helen Keller in the first place. Only a totally other set of conditions could have made it possible for me not have to have been a Helen Keller. That's very enigmatic. There's lots in there, and I don't know that we'll ever be able to unpack it, but it was really beautifully written. And this is going to segue into... Um, Dr. Montessori's own handbook, which um, is dedicated to Helen Keller. And uh, at the risk of being self-indulgent, I will go ahead and read the preface to this, which will hopefully frame the rest of our conversation. So this is the preface, and Maria Montessori says, If a preface is a light which should serve to illumine the contents of a volume, I choose not words, but human figures to illustrate this little book intended, intended to enter families where children are growing up. I therefore recall here, as an eloquent symbol, Helen Keller and Miss Annie Sullivan Macy, who are, by their example, both teachers to myself, and, before the world, living documents of the miracle in education. In fact, Helen Keller is a marvelous example of the phenomenon common to all human beings, the possibility of the liberation of the imprisoned spirit of man by the education of the senses. Here lies the basis of the method of education of which this book gives a succinct idea. If one only of the senses suffice to make of Helen Keller a woman of exceptional culture and a writer, who better than she proves the potency of that method of education which builds on the senses? If Helen Keller attained through exquisite natural gifts to an elevated conception of the world, who better than she proves that in the inmost self of man lies the spirit ready to reveal itself? Helen, clasp to your heart these little children, since they, above all others, will understand you. They are your younger brothers. When, with bandaged eyes and in silence, they touch with their little hands, profound impressions rise in their consciousness, and they exclaim with a new form of happiness, I see with my hands. They alone, then, can fully understand the drama of the mysterious privilege your soul has known. When, in darkness and in silence, their spirit left free to expand, their intellectual energy redoubled, they become able to read and write without having learnt, 
almost as it were by intuition, they, only they, can understand in part the ecstasy by which you were granted the luminous path of learning. It's very beautiful. Yeah. How does that sit with you? I hadn't read that before. I hadn't heard that before. And so um, it sparked all kinds of um, parallels for me that... Um, Let's follow the sparks. I yeah, right? Um, that I um, hadn't quite drawn before between um, Maria Montessori and Anne Sullivan and, and the universal child and Helen Keller um, in terms of um, the, the methodology of learning. Um, the, the brazen naivete and bravery that, that, um, Anne and Maria both had of, um, saying, why not? Um, why is this not possible? Um, and, and what can be achieved with, um, compassion and dedication to, to learning and to education, um, and, also how much can be achieved when we go outside of the, um, the typical box of this is how you should learn. And if you don't learn like this, then number one, you must be broken. And number two, um, nothing can be learned. Um, and look how much Helen Keller as an individual achieved and how much children, um, who have experienced, this Montessori form of education have been able to achieve um, when even we go outside of the typical Montessori curriculum, which is um, different from so many other um, educational paradigms. Right, right. It's so curious that, I mean, she devotes this introduction to this figure of, of Helen Keller and her, her teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, this teacher and apprentice and, and how, like you said, like that sense of overcoming any anything that was in their way to achieve what they wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. And yet there was a different structure put in place here than we normally conceive of as education. Sure. Like they had to rewrite the rules completely. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that spirit is in, in this preface of like, we can do it differently. We can do it better. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that... Um that great things can be achieved um, if you're willing to um, to just blindly go forward on faith in um, faith in in the child and in faith in yourself um, and the belief that that y- you can um, help somebody else. Um, how, how do you, how do you, how, that's, I really love that phrase of cultivate faith. How do you cultivate faith in yourself? How do you, how do we help children cultivate faith in themselves? It's always so hard to find the right questions because we're constantly unlearning and yeah. rethinking the way we address the issues. Yeah. Um, well, I found in myself a, um, a time when I, what I truly got down to was that um, I, I wasn't trusting the children and um and then when you go even deeper i wasn't trusting myself and um and any place that in my heart that was taking up fear and mistrust and um a worry and anxiety was place that wasn't available for love and for 
and for faith. And um, if I'm not trusting myself, how can the children have faith in me? Um, and if I'm not trusting myself, how can I trust the children? Um, and so I had to um, have had to choose to have confidence in myself and choose to have um, confidence and faith in the children um, I, that this it took a real active willpower to say I I believe I am capable of this and I am I believe you are capable of even more and um, once that flickers to life then um, the true compassion and empathy can come forward. Um, and all of those places of, of fear and trepidation and, and worry and um, misgivings that all feed on one another, that, that don't leave space for um, positive movement in the classroom and in, and in your life, um, they, they kind of... Um, they self like collapse like a like a black star you know they they go in on themselves and all that is left is this um this blind faith and um and the children perceive that and are willing to be vulnerable in their learning experiences as well and and to turn this back to what madeline said and i'll read it again she says only a totally other set of conditions could have made it possible for me not have to have been a Helen Keller. And there's this sense in which we must constantly place our faith in um, circumstances. Or for Montessori, she would probably say uh, the environment. Mm -hmm. We have to trust in the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you have to go forward expecting that, that something magical is going to happen. That um, the... The moment you back off is the the moment before something magical could have happened. You can't um, if if something's not working, you don't keep banging your head against a wall, but you don't stop looking for okay, this isn't working. What else could work, and how else can I approach this? And if I couldn't rely on traditional curriculum, maybe I turned to Montessori. And if I, what what was in my training didn't work, maybe I can rely on instinct. And if my instinct doesn't work, what else can I search for? Because I cannot give up on this child, and mm. I cannot give up on this possibility of learning. Yeah, can we talk a little bit more about um, like the the practice or the persistence of the repetition needed to push through? on that mm -hmm. like what is that internal dynamic that that's happening there i think that when something isn't catching right away um there there can easily be um frustration and there can easily be um defeat um and you see it even on the faces of the children who you know they're not catching on to um putting the cylinder block together the right way, or they're not catching on to addition as quickly as they expected to. Um, and it's something they knew they wanted to do, but they're not quite getting it. Um, and so um, if we just say, okay, that's that's fine. Um, I, guess, I guess you'll never be able to put the cylinder block together the right way. Um, 
what what else are we closing the door to? Mm-hmm. And what else are we saying? Oh, well, I guess you're never going to be good at math. Um, but um, if instead of frustration or defeat, um, we know each specific child well enough to say, okay, this child might need a break. This child might need snack or a potty break. Or, um, no, this child needs like this fire still to be stoked, or maybe they need a little moment of a cheerleader, or maybe they need not me, but an older child, or maybe they need not pencil and paper, but instead they need a chalkboard, or they need me to trace this letter on their back. Maybe they need more, not less. This constant looking and searching is really valuable, and it's something that Madeline Ginz in her own own life and her own work would constantly pursue and it's something that Montessori herself opened the conditions to and in the start of this uh, chapter one for Helen Keller or Arakawa Madeline says and not to get too philosophical but she says I was definitely born on July 6 1936 or it may have been June 27 1880 or was it actually November 7th 1941 and it took us a long time to try to unpack that and think through like what is she doing there why is she saying that and one of the things is that she's opening herself up to the possibility that there's multiple identities that inform who she is she's not just one fixed thing she is as you said um uh not closing the door she's leaving it open to to discover new possibilities by utilizing new people Mm -hmm. and this is of course something that helen keller herself did i mean she could have easily foreclosed any possibilities that she saw on the world or didn't see in the world in this case and and just accepted her position but Mm -hmm. instead she strove to to do something different to Mm -hmm. feel the world and think the world differently yeah and i think that that's why um it's so um abrasive when we hear um labels placed on children or or labels placed on ourselves those classifications Um, yeah because it's like that's that's saying what what i am and once you um, name yourself or you are named by somebody else, um, what doors are shut? Sometimes what doors are open? You know, sometimes it gives great enlightenment to hear somebody name the emotion you're feeling. Um, you can call me Mr. Open. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and there's something about... Um, th- there's, there's a fine line between um, not not naming anything or not identifying anything because um, the culture that that we live in every day working with this group of children, children up to the age of six who are currently at our school, um, these are children who want to label and know the names and nomenclature for everything and get things really precise. And um, that's not just a shape. That's not just a triangle. That's a right-angled, scalene triangle. Um, and, and in living in the moment with them, we live in, um, in that world of really using finite language, really using um, debris and um, using... Um, words like truncated with with children because they are le- learning to to categorize and define their world so that they can live fully within it, um, but also not limiting them by saying, "Oh, you're just a child," or "Oh, you're just a girl," or whatever. You're just three. Um, what? Where do we um, delineate where? Um, 
labels are valuable and help us to explore our world and where do labels put limits on our world yeah that's really well formulated i mean it's almost like uh, as an adult it's the laziness of our thinking in which we categorize things Mm -hmm. and for children it's an active exploration of the world trying to understand it Mm -hmm. and this will lead us to to another point which is uh talking about senses uh this was something that madeline was very sensitive about in her language which was not limiting the number of senses we traditionally conceive of and it's something that montessori often fell into the trap of of thinking that we only had five senses Mm -hmm. and so there's a sense of which our senses themselves need to be open to the world and not just categorized. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we don't know exactly what they can do. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of the difference between um, um, labeling or categorizing in order to manage or labeling or categorizing in order to understand. Mm. Um, because we, you, you need a starting place. Right. We, can't, we are not just... Um, nebulous um, anemones just floating and and absorbing everything we can, we do want to understand these pieces. Um, But is it so that, you know, if we say a rainbow has six colors, um, are we we defining it too precisely? Or is that just a starting place for the children to then be able to work with oil pastels and see all the different colors that come within there and, and maybe make up their own words for those colors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it was great. It was a really productive, fruitful conversation. <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. Um, and so maybe I'll just leave you with a little anecdote or, or a little story. And as all stories go, um, there's an ele- element of what you remember and what you forget. But in a conversation with Madeline Gins many years ago, she described to June and I how she once had to make the decision what she wanted to do in life. And she walked out of school, and she was headed down the street, taking a right, and she was going to become a Montessori school teacher. And then, as fate or circumstance or faith in circumstances or different birth dates or whatever it may be, uh, she was attracted to go back into the school where she met uh, Arakawa, who would later become her, her husband and life life partner. And th- the point of that is to say that uh, Madeline Gins was highly aware of uh, Maria Montessori, and when she was writing on Helen Keller, which we really encourage everybody to take a look um, if they're interested in, um, that there's a lot of rich material there to be unpacked. So thank you, Miss Wood. really appreciate you taking the time to join us for this conversation. 